the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Onward into hour number two. It's 1010. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420, The Answer. I want to bring in our good friend Jack Windsor to start the hour. As promised, Jack Windsor is the founder and the editor-in-chief of the Ohio Press Network, also our statehouse correspondent uh, correspondent for uh, AM 1420, The Answer. Jack, my friend, good morning. Good to talk to you again. How are you? Bob, I'm super fantastic. It's always an honor to be with you and the listeners of The Answer. Uh, Thank you for choosing me today. Lot of ground to cover here, Jack, in the state. Uh, and one, one of them is a national and perhaps an international story, but it affects all of us here in the state as well. And that's the one I want to lead with. And this is a big expose, if you will, um, just a very true, a very truly, uh, in-depth report on the controversial drug ivermectin as it pertains to COVID-19, COVID-19 treatments, uh, prophylactic use, et cetera, et cetera. We all know the story. Ivermectin is the new hydroxychloroquine in that it is public enemy number one of the, the American left and big pharma. Uh, ivermectin is believed by many, many medical professionals and has an extraordinary history uh, as being a very effective drug that drug that is completely safe for humans, despite the CDC's um, un- unbelievable, un- unimaginable, unfathomable uh, tweet in which they told people, you're not a horse, you're not a cow, stop it. Mm-hmm. In other words, stop using ivermectin or requesting ivermectin from your medical professionals because it's a horse dewormer. I mean, just completely disingenuous and dishonest uh, statements by the CDC. So, Jack, in the, in the Ohio Press Network, Lisa Murtha um, wrote this tremendous piece on i had to read it twice to try to process it all it's a long read there's a lot of tech stuff in there simplify it for us jack windsor what is the rest of the story on ivermectin 
I'll do my best, so keep me on track. Okay. First, I want to start with Lisa Murtha. She was just named the best freelance writer in 2021 by the Ohio Society of Professional Journalists, and we see why. Her story's a whopper. It's chock full of facts, links to studies and analyses, and it interviews Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, an epidemiologist, physician, and Stanford Medical School professor, as well as Dr. Martin Kuldorf, a member of the FDA Scientific Council for Drug Safety and Risk Management. He's a biostatistician, epidemiologist, and professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School. Now, there's a lot in this article, so I encourage everyone to, to get to it and read it. It's at theohiopressnetwork.com, and it can be found on the homepage in the center near the top. Now, I say that because um, I think it's important that we all make informed decisions, and I don't necessarily believe ivermectin is a miracle drug that would cure COVID. I'm not a doctor. I've never purported to be, and obviously... To your point. And to be clear, if I may, Jack, to to be clear, none of the doctors cited in this extensive reporting made that claim either. Nobody said it's a miracle drug that cures COVID-19. That is not the claim at all. That's correct. Um, But that is that is the tone and tenor that, you know, opposers will take. Um, But, you know, don't take highly concentrated therapies intended for animals, to your point. Um, But here, you know, the jury is still out. And, and here's what we found out. Doctors Koldorf and Batachoria and, and the CDC, they agree that these randomized controlled t- trials on ivermectin are necessary um, before we can know what it does and what it doesn't do. However, they weren't done by drug companies because there's no financial incentive for companies like Merck, who had the patent on ivermectin until it, ex- it expired in 1996. Um, now, without the exclusive rights to produce or sell a drug, companies obviously stand to gain less. So the NIH, the NIAID, as public health agencies, should have committed those studies, but they didn't. And that's a big component in the article. But here's an example of that, Bob. Remdesivir, which we know is now part of standard treatment protocol for COVID, it's, it's off-label. Uh, it's a therapeutic use, and it's under patent protection owned by Gilead. Consequently, Gilead had an incentive to push the studies on the drug's efficacy to treat Ebola, and those studies didn't go very well, according to experts, and to treat COVID patients. And those studies, frankly, are, are pretty alarming in some ways, and you can you can find some of those uh, in, in the uh, report that Lisa put together. But nonetheless, the FDA approved it for emergency use against COVID. And so, to me, one of the big factors in this article is seeing the interplay which he said at the top of this, between the NIH, NIAID, the CDC, and and big drug companies. And uh, that's an issue. Um, let me, I want to follow up on uh, what, what uh, ivermectin does and doesn't do. That part of what you said is important, but since you brought up remdesivir, let me go to that first. Um, part of the story, and again, there's a ton of information, so you really do have to read it maybe once or twice to really kind of process it all. But part of the story talks about the ineffectiveness of the approved uh, for emergency use to fight COVID-19 remdesivir, which, by the way, is extraordinarily expensive and makes the big pharmaceutical manufacturers who have, it, who have the patent on it a ton of money. And it is not only less than effective, there there is plenty of evidence here that shows that it is actually potentially very, very harmful to users, and that's what they're trying to accuse ivermectin of being. Yeah, isn't that interesting? So, um, you know, it is approved to treat COVID, and it does cost thousands of dollars, and it can only be administered in the hospital, which is another issue. Right. Um, According to one report, there's a 20-fold increase in the risk of acute renal failure, Um, and then there have been high rates of respiratory 
respiratory failure tied to the drug as well. Those are all listed at the bottom uh, of the article. And even the World Health Organization recommends against the use of remdesivir in hospitalized patients. But nonetheless, that's where it is being Think about that. And there's an incentive uh, to hospitalize these people, to put people who maybe whose symptoms didn't warrant hospitalization. But the doctors want to give them remdesivir, and you can't do that unless they are hospitalized. So they're complaining about the number of beds being taken by COVID patients, and yet literally there is a financial incentive to put them in the hospital so that they can sell them this one th- or use this $1,000 a dose or whatever it is, remdesivir, which has not uh, lived up to what it promised, as you said by uh, Dr. Batakaria. Uh, it is not a very effective treatment for hospitalized COVID. COVID patients, he said, it is certainly not a cure. Given the weak evidence, I think it is being overused, and it's led to people being hospitalized to get it who probably didn't need to be hospitalized. All of that should be front-page news on the New York Times, and and, and it's not, which brings me back to the actual ivermectin part of this, Jack. Um, you know, uh, ivermectin, and I'm trying to f- cite your sources here, or the sources in this article, Grump and Omura, I'm trying to... Uh, uh, give their uh, give their name here to 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 attach their names to this. Which uh, researchers these were? Andy Crump, not Grump. Andy Crump and Satoshi Omura wrote uh, this 2011 article from the NIH National Institute of Health database. Uh, and Omura is the Japanese scientist who won the Nobel Prize in 2015 for ivermectin, which was used or discovered in the late 1970s. And was used uh, in a in a variety of ways with humans, starting in 1988 for a variety of of conditions. So Crump and Omura's article points out, and I quote: Ivermectin has continually proved to be astonishingly safe for human use. Indeed, it is such a safe drug with minimal side effects that it can be administered by non medical staff and even illiterate individuals in remote rural communities. On December 8th, 2020, Dr. Pierre Corey, a pulmonary and critical care specialist, testified before the Homeland Security Committee and noted, the safety of ivermectin is nearly unparalleled, given its near nil drug interactions, along with only mild and rare side effects observed in almost 40 years of use and billions of doses administered, end quote. So, Jack, why am I emphasizing this so much? Because while they're saying, well, there needs to be randomized controlled studies of ivermectin for COVID-19 before we can go ahead and, and use this on people with COVID-19 because it might not be safe. It's been randomly studied for 40 years with billions of yeah. doses administered. Even if Billion. it doesn't stop COVID or doesn't provide relief from COVID, it isn't going to harm anyone because, again, it's 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 unparalleled the safety of this in human beings. Yes, so it is stunning. Billions of doses, and you got that right. Billions of doses have been distributed around the world uh, over the past four decades, at least. Um, which you know points me to other uh, parts of the <laughs> of the article. Uh, you know, you you can start to see the interplay between the National Institutes of Health panel on COVID nineteen treatment guidelines. Um, and how those members have not only grown, but they've grown in their ties to financially and otherwise drug companies. Um, so that sets off alarm bells for me. The other interesting part is that, remember, Merck, Ivermectin's original patent holder mm-hmm. and a major supplier of the drug worldwide, which you just said, they distributed billions uh, of doses around around the globe. 
in February 2021, they stated that they didn't believe ivermectin is effective in treating COVID-19. But just four months later, they announced the development of, now let me get this right, I think it's pronounced Molnapiravir. <laughs> and I'll go in with it. Collaboration, collaboration with the U.S. government, the drug is a new, quote, investigational oral antiviral candidate for treatment of the mild to moderate COVID-19 patient. Uh, the U.S. government commits to purchase approximately 1.7 million courses of Molnipiravir upon issuance of emergency use authorization. So Merck says, you know, ivermectin doesn't work, but we've got this other drug that we want emergency use authorization for. <laughs> in order for emergency use authorization to be granted by the FDA, my understanding is that there can't be another alternative. So, of course, Merck, you know, given their financial interest, it's going to come out and say ivermectin doesn't work. We've got a, you know, we've got a better mousetrap here that we've built. Um, I think that's very interesting. Yeah, this 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 rises to the to the level, in my opinion, of a scandal. You have big pharmaceutical companies like Merck uh, uh, gaming the system here. The FDA going right along with it. Uh, the CDC going right along with it. Uh, it is simply unfathomable. Again, if even if COVID era of uh, uh, ivermectin is not necessarily effective in pre- preventing or um, reducing the symptoms of COVID nineteen, which apparently it is in many people who have used it, by the way. But even if you want to argue that it's not effective, why should pharmacists be told you are free to ignore those? prescriptions you don't have to fill them why should doctors be allowed to say no you can't take this even if uh, a, a family member of the patient which is the the crux of your story or the example in your story says that's what we want to try because you know my husband is dying right now on the treatments you've given it's not working we want to try this what possible reason would there be to not give it when it is proven to be absolutely harmless to people? Maybe helpful, we don't know for sure, but definitely harmless, uh, which is the key. To me, this is a scandal, and it ought to be on the front page uh, of every paper in America. Uh, and I'm glad it's on the Ohio Press Network site, and we need to spread this word very, very wide and far. All right, Jack, it's already 1022. Stick with me for a quick time out. I want to talk politics with you, the Ohio governor's race, the Ohio Senate race next. AM 1420, The Answer. Download the free WHK mobile app and listen to your favorite WHK programs or podcasts on the go. It's free in your app store. Okay, 1024 now we continue. I've got about five and a half minutes with Jack Windsor for Ohio politics. Jack, let's start with the Senate race. We know that Josh Mandel has been leading in all of the polls, but uh, there are a number of other people that we need to talk about. Number one, there's a new face in the race, and that is Matt Dolan, Ohio Senator Matt Dolan. Uh, he's got a lot of history, of course, uh, a lot of experience in politics. He says that's going to be the difference between him and the other candidates. None of the others have done what I've done. And he said that none of them are also going to focus on Ohio. They're all focused on big picture national things and not the people of Ohio. What difference do you think his uh, uh, participation in this race will it make? And then number two, uh, big endorsement for J.D. Vance, who seems to be pulling in quite a few of those uh, recently, mm-hmm. including Josh Hawley, including uh, uh, Jim Banks, and now uh, Salem's own Charlie Kirk, uh, Turning Point USA founder, a talk show host on our Salem Radio Network. He is endorsing J.D. Vance. So what do you make of all that? So we'll First, start with uh, Matt Dolan, and he talked with me on Monday night, and he said, uh, you know, there are some things that differentiate him. One of them is that he 
supports the infrastructure bill that Rob Portman helped craft. And um, he called it a slim-down bill and said, I don't know how you can say you're fighting for Ohioans, you're fighting for Ohio jobs, you're fighting for Ohio's economy, if you don't recognize that the investment in infrastructure is key to that success. No one else supported that. So here's what I think we're going to find out um, with Matt Dolan. I, I do believe um, that other candidates um, will learn more about their policy positions. But I think out of the gate, Dolan probably looks like he's going to walk the path of a Rob Portman um, more than anyone else. And so I think we're going to find out, has the Republican primary voter changed? You know, Rob Portman never lost an election, and he won by wide margins. So is this messaging still resonating with conservatives in the state of Ohio? And uh, I think we'll find out relatively soon based on, you know, how Dolan is polling in the next couple of months. Uh, what about uh, Vance's endorsement, or Charlie Kirk's endorsement of yeah. Vance, rather? Charlie Kirk's endorsement, you know, he's the, uh, he's the founder of Turning Point. Uh, he's an activist. And he came out uh, for Vance and basically said that, you know, he's, he's the new blood in the Republican Party. Um, you know, Vance is a venture capitalist, author of Hillbilly Elegy. Uh, and he really fell under fire early for comments he made in 2016 and 2017 about President Trump that surfaced, as well as uh, for the super PAC that uh, helped sign him up for the race, essentially. It was funded by tech billionaire mogul Peter Thiel. Now, Thiel, as you know, is the founder of PayPal. Cambridge Analytica sits on the board at Facebook. And so all of a sudden it was like, wait a minute, this guy is uh, a never-Trumper and he's pro-big tech. But since that time, I think what you've seen from Van- from Vance is a gust of conservative tweets and conservative things um, in an attempt to, to pe- appeal to the conservative right. Uh, you know, he and Thiel invested in Rumble, which is the alternative to YouTube, and he came out after uh, the Biden administration said that they were going to work with the Labor Department to mandate vaccines in companies that have 100 or more employees. He said, don't comply. So he's really stoking the fire of conservative messaging, and uh, his name recognition is catching on, and this is a big endorsement for him. Yeah, it really is, and uh, he is trying to uh, unring the bells. Uh, many of the bells that you you mentioned before that a lot of people you know were hearing, which is you know he said a lot of very disparaging things about Trump, but they didn't end when he got the nomination. Uh, those disparaging things continued into the Trump term, which struck a lot of people the wrong way and still does, quite frankly. And again, that history with uh, uh, big tech and with Silicon Valley and as a venture capitalist, he's uh, you know he's he's got a lot of things there he's got to try to undo. But boy, he's doing a good job of pulling in some strong conservative names to say, hey, he's really the guy, uh, which is what Charlie, Charlie Kirk is. Now, to the Ohio governor's race, last time we spoke, uh, you had a source that said Warren Davidson is on the cusp. Of, of entering this race. In fact, he's going down to Mar-a-Lago to meet with President Trump, former President Trump, and that maybe he may uh, emerge from Mar-a-Lago with the Trump endorsement for governor. I haven't heard, hi, seen hide nor hair of Warren Davidson since that time. Do you have anything new for us? Yes, so I can confirm, um, based on communications with someone uh, very high up in his campaign, that he did meet with uh, Trump in Florida. And uh, my understanding is that that was about the uh, gubernatorial race. And the information that I've received from the campaign is that if Warren decides to get in the race, um, they believe that he will get the Trump endorsement. So uh, Davidson has not decided whether or not he's going to be in the race. There's a lot of speculation centered around, can he raise enough money fast enough to win the governor's chair? 
And if not, is he potentially positioning himself for another race down the road, maybe a U.S. Senate uh, run um, for Sherrod Brown's seat? Uh, which is interesting. Um, and the other, the other interesting part of this governor's race right now is that Joe Blystone, who is kind of, you know, the dark horse, non-political guy who's, uh, got kind of a, you know, a strong following. Uh, I don't want like using the word cult. People do that with Trumpers. Uh, we're not a cult if we support President Trump. I don't want to say that either, but there are people who are super loyal to Joe Blystone. And his campaign took a weird turn last week when his running mate bailed. Uh, what does that mean to you? Uh, it, it means to me that there's um, some division in in, uh, in the campaign. Uh, you know, he didn't provide a lot of commentary. Neither did she. Uh, my understanding is that there was uh, definitely some difficult uh, difficulties uh, between the two in the direction of the campaign. And for me, it means okay. So he's he's running and he's on his own. He's going to have to find a lieutenant governor. Um, you know, to go along with him. And uh, in some instances, that may not be a big deal. Um, but in this instance, um, it might be, you know, he, he appeals as the, you know, an everyday Ohioan and a constitutional conservative and kind of an easygoing guy. And, uh, you know, some of the blowback I've heard from our readers is that, well, wait a minute. Um, you know, if, if he's having this much trouble finding and keeping a running mate, it, you know, does that signal a bigger issue? I don't know the answer to this at that point, but it certainly seems like there's a, a challenge in the Blindstone camp. Jack Windsor, the editor-in-chief and founder of the Ohio Press Network, laying it all out for us on COVID-19, ivermectin, the governor's race, the Senate race. Good stuff, Jack Windsor. Uh, Keep us posted when you get more information, and we'll talk soon. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Jack. Jack Windsor on AM 1420, The Answer. We'll take our time out here. We are scheduled to talk with Max Miller, potentially the uh, replacement for Anthony Gonzalez in the Ohio 16th Congressional District. Jonah Schultz may have something to say about that, but we're scheduled to talk with ja- with uh, Max Miller, and I'm told his flight has been delayed. He may or may not be in the air right now, so we're going to try to get him next. And if we can't, we'll talk to you. 216-901-0945 on The Authority. social justice warriors if you're looking for a safe space where your delicate ears won't be offended this isn't it this is the bob france authority on am 1420 the answer all right yes indeed 10 37 now i got 23 minutes of outstanding awesome left for you i uh, i'm hoping to fill some of those minutes uh, that was weird. I'm hoping to fill some of those minutes with uh, Max Miller, uh, congressional candidate in Ohio 16. He is considered by many to be the favorite now that Anthony Gonzalez announced last week that he is going to stop pretending to be a conservative Republican and not run for re-election. Uh, almost as soon as it happened, I had people on the air with me telling me Max Miller is going to be a great congressman. And I kind of had to slam the brakes on. So what about what about Jonah Schultz? This is still a race. There's still a primary here, right? I'm not saying I'm picking Jonah Schultz or Max Miller. I'm just saying were we so quick to um, uh, to announce that Max Miller is going to win the primary and that Max Miller is going to be the next member of Congress? I don't know. Uh, I want to talk to Max about that, and I want to talk about uh, Gonzalez dropping out of what it does for or to his campaign. So hopefully that will happen sooner rather than later. Uh, while we wait for Max, and we're not sure if we're going to get him or not, we scheduled him for 1035. His flight was late taking off, which means... Probably it's going to be late landing, and he's uh, he may be in the air as we speak, or he may be on a runway. I don't know, uh, but we're hoping to get him uh, sooner or later. Since he is uh, 
unavailable at the moment. I want to follow up on something, if I may, uh, because we haven't talked about the squad in a few days, and there are two reasons to do so. Headline in the New York Post today, AOC, or I like to call her ADC, she is, uh, she is Alexandria Damasio-Cortez, and her fellow squad members, um, including um, uh, Jihad uh, Omar and Sharia Tlaib, Yesterday, they forced House Democrat leader Democrat leadership to. Did I say Democrat? That was totally Freudian. Sorry, Democrat leadership to cut one billion dollars out of their short-term government funding bill, which was supposed to go to Israel for their Iron Dome, which of course is extraordinarily important to the safety and the survival of Israelis. But perhaps unbeknownst to the short cited shallow thinkers in the squad it also saves palestinian lives people don't understand that i think sometimes representative elisa slotkin reminded them via twitter yes the iron dome is purely a defensive system it protects civilians when hundreds of rockets are shot at population centers Whatever your views are on the israeli-palestinian conflict using a system that just saved hundreds if not thousands of lives is a uh, is uh, as a political chit is problematic. Um, the Wall Street Journal reminds Hamas rockets are meant to kill Israeli civilians. Yes, but the Iron Dome also saves Palestinian lives. When the rocket attacks are futile and Israeli casualties are prevented, there's no less domestic pressure on Israel's political leaders to escalate their military response. The Iron Dome was one of the big reasons the Hamas rocket offensive in the spring did not provoke a costly Israeli ground invasion. The system's deployment and improvement with U.S. funding also helps develop technology that can be used to defend Americans. So I bring that up just to point out the utter incompetence and shallow thinking of the far left, particularly the squad, the socialists on the squad. They seem to think that sending money to foreign countries that will benefit us in no measurable way whatsoever is a great way to spend billions of dollars. But to send it to our staunchest ally in the Middle East for the purpose of saving lives, specifically saving lives, both Israeli and Palestinian and American, Anybody who may be in Israel, when Hamas decides to start lobbing rockets into, um, uh, into uh, Israeli territory, uh, that that's not worth spending the money on. We know what the real statement here is. They hate Jews. Let's just be blunt. Jihad Omar, Sharia Tlaib, a Muslim and a Palestinian, and then ADC, who's just, you know, uh, Damascus-Stinian, they hate Jews. Their anti-Semitism is off the charts. And what they did yesterday to defund, essentially, America's role in that Iron Dome to save lives is inexcusable. I'll tell you the other part of the uh, squad story later, because I'm told we do have Max Miller now. That's pretty impressive. Only seven minutes late from uh, uh, for a scheduled interview time when a plane was late taking off. I thought that's at least an hour delay. That's how those things go. But uh, somehow, some way, Max Miller joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Max, good to have you back. How are you? Hey, Bob. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I, when I heard your plane was late taking off, I said, well, you know, tell him to call if he lands in time. But I sure as heck didn't have any expectations. So they made up that time in the air, huh? Well, I... 
Kind of. They made up the time in the air, and then we circled around and then landed. But, look, I got here, and I'm holding to my commitment, and here I am. So well, that means a lot. That means a lot to me. I really, I really mean that. That's a tough thing to do, and I appreciate that. Okay. So, Max, I haven't spoken to you. I tried to last week, right after the news came down, but I know you were very busy. Um, uh, I haven't spoken to you about Anthony Gonzalez's decision to exit this race. I want to get your reaction to that. What did you think of when you heard it? And I also want to know, did you expect it? Did you think that he was on the ropes and that uh, maybe he wasn't even going to be around for this primary that you are a part of? Well, Bob, I just want to start with saying, who, Anthony who? Anthony, uh, Anthony's irrelevant. Uh, I no longer want to talk about him. He's out of the race. I mean, what I will say, and I'll keep it at this, he saw the writing on the wall. He saw the power of President Donald J. Trump's endorsement, which is the most powerful endorsement in all of political history, and he knew he was down in the polls with me. And, and I'll leave it at that. You know, I, I respect his decision if he says he, he got out of the race because of his family. But if you're truly convicted in your beliefs and you're a fighter and you have somewhat of a backbone, then you stay in the race and you fight it out like a man. But what he did is he took the coward's way, out, coward's way out, and he used his family as an excuse, and that's what he did. But moving forward, I want to focus on the district. I want to focus on the solutions that I can bring to the problems that we face. And I'll keep on saying Anthony who, because he's no longer relevant, he's irrelevant, and we shouldn't speak his name. Um, I can respect that, but I hope you'll respect a quick follow-up question on that. Largely... Um, you know, what I, what I heard from you in the bulk of the campaign thus far, though, is pointing out that Anthony Gonzalez must go. Uh, largely the campaign that you've run has been anti-Anthony Gonzalez. So I, I think talking about his decision to exit is still relevant, at least for a short period of time. Uh, and then talking about, okay, now that he's gone, and it's not just about getting rid of somebody who, I think committed a treasonous act when he voted without due process to impeach President Trump. Um, you know, now looking ahead to the issues, now looking ahead to the district and so on and so forth is certainly fine. But, but the fact that most of the focus was we got to get rid of this guy and now that was accomplished, there's got to be something to be said for that. There is. And what I got from his article in the New York Times, and I'm sure you've read it as well as most of the people have, is that he didn't want to come back to Cleveland. He didn't want to come back to Rocky River. He didn't want to be a voice for the people. He made it very clear that he was happy in Washington, D.C. with the life that he had built with the radical left and being coddled by the media and being accepted because no one even knew who Anthony Gonzalez even was nationally until he took this, as you said, a treasonous vote. That's exactly what he did. Then they propped him up as a martyr. They propped him up as a god. And, man, what a fall from grace that that guy had. I mean, it is what it is. He saw the writing on the wall. His pathway to victory was extremely narrow. He wasn't going to be able to dig in and face me toe-to-toe. So that's what I'll address about that. But, yes, it was about getting Anthony out. We're successful in getting Anthony out. But the race continues. I'm still going to do the same things that I've been doing, continue to go to events, continue to fundraise, continue to push the America First agenda and the America First policies, because what the Biden administration is doing in terms of our southern border and now defunding the Iron Dome to our greatest ally in the Middle East is the biggest FU, I think one of the biggest FUs that he's given. I mean, look, we're leaving $85 billion of military equipment in Afghanistan and we won't give our greatest ally in the Middle East, or even in the, in the entire world, $1 billion to fund the Iron Dome? I mean, these, Israel gets hit with rockets almost on a daily basis, and that saves 
countless Israeli lives. And by the way, as everyone knows, they're not all Jewish. Israel is welcoming of every religion and race. And that's what people need to realize. But it's the anti-Semitic rhetoric that the Democrats have embraced. It's the anti-Semitic rhetoric and hate that we see. And it's a power grab. And this is what they do. This is straight out of their playbook. And this is why I want to go to Congress and fight against these radical left and these issues when Biden is just a feckless leader destroying the fabric of our country day by day by day. I agree with every word of that. We're talking to Max Miller. Max Miller is the uh, or is a 16th congressional district candidate in the Republican primary, no longer being challenged by the incumbent. Anthony Gonzalez has gotten out. Uh, Max, I interviewed two people last week after the Gonzalez announcement, and both of them said Max Miller is going to make a great congressman. And I had to stop them. I had to put the brakes on that and say, wait a minute, there is still a primary. There is still another guy in this race. Jonas Schultz is a declared candidate. He's working hard. He's a strong conservative voice, as is yours. Um, so I said, why are you so certain that it's going to be Max Miller? And they answered, well, the Trump endorsement. Do you think that President Trump's endorsement is enough? Or uh, maybe asked another way, what are your thoughts on the uh, primary race against Jonah? As I've said before on your show, and as I've said to everybody, yes, having President Trump's endorsement means the world. But what I've said from the beginning is, it's not enough for me. And what I mean by that, and I've said it to you before, is that I'm going to go out and earn every vote. This should not be gifted to me just because someone slapped an endorsement on me. But I'm honored and humbled and gracious that President Trump endorsed me. But it's, it's not enough for me. I need to go out. I need to earn the trust of the voters in the district. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. It's exactly what I've been doing. And I'm not going to stop going to events and continuing to meet the people and to be the voice for them. That's exactly what I'm going to continue to do for this district and for the people. Max Miller, I'm going to read uh, two quotes uh, from an article in the Ohio Press Network from yesterday uh, about this race. One GOP strategist mirrors Jensen's viewpoint about the race. Quote, Schultz need to get, needs to get out of the race. Political consultant Harlan Hill told Politico, don't split the Trump vote. It's time to consolidate behind Max Miller. He's got the endorsement. How, here's the second part. Another GOP consultant countered that idea and said, you can't win a primary in the middle of Ohio from Palm Beach. Uh, another strategist remarked that Miller needs to get out of Mar-a-Lago and into Medina, referring to Miller's courting influential donors who congregate at the former president's resort. How do you respond to that criticism, Max Miller? Sounds like fake news. The same fake news that everyone likes to peddle to smear me because they want to fit me into a narrative that no longer exists. I would love to pull my flight record and show you where I've been. I think you could look at my Twitter feed and Facebook and see that I've been in the community going to 8 to 10 events a week. I just think that this is more cute fodder that they like to push out because I'm the Trump guy, and everyone wants to see me fall because they want the president to fail. So I look at this, and it's just more fake news that they go out and they perpetuate just to take another Trump guy down. The bad news for them is it's not going to work because people see me in the district every day. And those people, whoever made those comments, doesn't sound like they're in the district. It doesn't sound like they're going to the events that I'm going to. And it honestly sounds like they don't know me and they don't have a good understanding of this race and the direction and trajectory of where we're going. So I'll leave it at that for those comments. Uh, last thing, Max Miller, on this. Uh, if there is an opportunity to do so, will you attend a debate against Jonah in that primary? I think once both candidates are qualified and we're at that point, mm -hmm. yes. I think debates should be structured. 
Uh, I, I don't see why not, but we're not at that point yet. They're qualifying in the beginning of next year. The lines have yet to be redrawn. I know that my opponent is going to continue to push this thing, and he's just doing it so I can help elevate his platform. I'm not going to take the bait. The bait is, I mean, what I'm going to do is continue to push the positive messaging of my campaign and continue to run a positive effort on behalf of the people and focus on the issues of this district. Looking uh, at the race itself, and really all of the races, and this will be the last question for you, and Max, I really appreciate, again, you uh, making it onto the air despite your flight delay. Um, How much confidence do you have in the elections, all of them? And what I mean by that, of course, is election integrity. There is a great concern that even though 10 or 12 states have passed new election integrity laws, making it harder to cheat but easier to vote, there is still a concern that we may not have free and fair elections so that Republicans can take back the House and obviously take over the Senate as well. Do you have confidence that the elections, these primary elections, and the generals against the uh, Democrats are going to be fair? That's a tough question. I'm going to tell you, and my confidence is shaken. No, I, I honestly do not believe that the last election in 2020 that the president went through was a fair election. It was stolen. But we cannot, as Republicans, buy into this rhetoric. I understand that some Republicans say it and some conservatives say it, but this is a tool from the left that has infiltrated our party. And if we keep on going along with this, and it's going to disencourage people to go to the voting booths and vote. And we cannot let that happen. Every vote matters. My vote, your vote, everyone in the state, everyone in the country. But we need to take a look at, and I believe every state needs to be audited. And now hopefully we're going to see great results come out of Arizona here shortly. Um, and as well as Georgia needs a full audit. And I know they put that on, they put that on pause. But there are things that we can do once we take back the House. Uh, and I know you're a big constitutionalist versus states' rights, as am I, yes, sir. Uh, as federally. But, but this has to be handled right now at the state and local level because, let's just be real, we don't own the House and we don't own the Senate. So how much leverage does that get us to get our agenda pushed through? It doesn't. We can still be a voice and we can still fight. But once we take back the House, then we can start taking a look at how we can make these things more solidified so the American people have confidence in their vote. Very, very great points. And I'll tell you something, you know, we've got to hope and pray that we can hold off any of this, uh, you know, the shenanigans that they're trying to pull right now in the Congress, the Democrats with the For the People Act or the John Lewis Voting Rights Act to federalize the elections, taking the power from the states, taking the power from the counties uh, that they're trying to do right now. If they do that, all bets are off in 2022. Then we'll never get another fair shake or another fair election. So uh, we've got to we got to. We got to tread water for now and hope that we have a shot, a free and fair election shot in 2022. And I know you're eager to be a part of that. Max Miller, candidate, Ohio 16. Really appreciate you coming on the show, Max. Thanks very much. Good, good luck with the campaign the rest of the way. Thank you, Bob. Thanks for giving me the time. And for everyone listening, please go to votemaxmiller.com to take a look at my website if you're not familiar with me. And please let me know, and I'll see everyone in the district. Thank you. Thank you again, Bob. Got it. Thank you, Max Miller. There it is, votemaxmiller.com. I'm looking at it right now as well. Okay, time out. Final segment coming up, AM 1420, The Answer.
the free WHK mobile app and listen to your favorite WHK programs or podcasts on the go. It's free in your app store. Okay, 1057. I've only got time for maybe one or two. We'll go to Christine and Amherst. Christine, you're on the air. Go right ahead. Good morning, Bob. I just have three quick comments. Okay. First of all, I was all about J.D. Vance when he announced his run for Senate. Read his book, loved his story. However, after listening to him on several different occasions, I've changed my mind. I, I think he's a little wishy-washy, and um, he flip-flops, as you mentioned earlier. Um, secondly, the reason Gabby Petito is all over the news is to, of course, divert our attention from all the other issues the radical left is doing to try to destroy our country. Um, and lastly... I watched with disgust last night Tucker's coverage about the border. I don't even question why the government is letting this happen. It's all part of their plan. They're sending these illegals out in the country in an effort to further diversify our country even more, getting ready for the new world order and stealing our tax dollars to support them in an effort to bring we taxpayers to our knees for more control. And I am trying to understand why the conservatives, like Jim Jordan, who I like and respect, but he talks a lot, why aren't they jumping up and down on their desks, raising hell over the way the lefties are ruining our country and our freedom? Bob, I don't think we have to wait until 2022. Well, here, well here's, here's the thing, if I may, Christine, because I'm short on time here, I'll answer yep. that question. I think many of them are jumping up and down on their desks about this, but until they are the party and the majority, there is very little they can do about it other than continue to alert voters so that they can get the majority back and take the power away from those who are trying to destroy this country in many of the ways you just described. It's all about the majority, which means it's all about election integrity, and that's where we have to hang our hat for now. Thanks to everybody for being a part of the show. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.